Today's reading comes from Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give you prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's seat. have a seat and we'll pray. Father, uh, help us to understand uh, what you are saying to us in your word. And as we come to the book of Proverbs, uh, we pray for exactly what you would offer us in this book, and that is wisdom. We acknowledge that we need it. We acknowledge that we uh, are bereft of it. We acknowledge that so often we walk in foolishness. We see foolishness all around us, and, and Spirit, you convict us when we uh, walk in that same foolishness. But as we just heard and as we just spoke truth, that you forgive us, that we walk in newness of life, that, Spirit, you have sealed us, and that we are loved by you, Father. And so as we come to you in the throne room, covered in the righteousness of Christ, may we come into the throne room in the fear of the Lord, knowing that you hear our prayers and are moved by the things that we pray. Father, I, I would love to pray for other brothers and sisters that are meeting across the Metroplex this morning. We pray for our brothers and sisters at Pillar Church. We pray for Northbrook Church, for Redemption Story Church, for Grace, and for Paradox. We, we just are so grateful that uh, all the different expressions of your kingdom are showing up in this great city. And so we pray that your name and fame through these expressions of your good grace and your church would push back the gates of hell. You've promised to do that. Uh, so help us this morning, help me to preach faithfully, clearly. Uh, Spirit, take my feeble words and apply it to the hearts of your people. Now, we love you. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Well, uh, some of you know this. Maybe, maybe most of you do. I don't know. I, I used to be a weatherman. Uh, and one of the, my least favorite things about being a weatherman was having to come up with the chance of rain uh, because you go crazy over chances of rain. Uh, and so I, you know, I would look at the forecast every, every day and I would decide if uh, it's a 20% chance of rain or if it's a 50% chance of rain, it's an 80% chance of rain. And what would happen inevitably is that if uh, I said that it was going to be a 20% chance of rain and then it rained, people got upset because you said it was a 20% chance of rain. Yes, that means that there is a chance of rain. Uh, and, and the same idea, if I said that there was an 80% chance of rain and it did not rain, people got even more upset. And now that I'm not a weatherman, I understand this a little bit more because I do the same thing now. I'm like, you said 80%, that means it's supposed to rain. But because meteorologists uh, are not perfect and all-knowing, uh, we have to live in this world of probabilities instead of promises. 
So a meteorologist knows this very well, that you live in a world of probabilities and not promises. Uh, We're going to be spending this summer uh, in the book of Proverbs. And so this is our first week in the book of Proverbs. I'm incredibly excited about it. It is completely different uh, genre or type of literature than what we have been studying in the book of Joshua. Uh, This is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible, the wisdom books of the Bible. You could also include in that category Job, uh, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. But this summer, as we look at Proverbs, we have to understand that Proverbs operate under a very similar principle as a weather forecast. What do I mean by that? Is that Proverbs communicate probabilities, not promises. And this is, if we're honest, why it's a bit difficult for us to know how to even approach the Proverbs. The Proverbs can be a bit bewildering because they're not set in stone promises, but they're probabilities. They are showing us how life generally works but they are not statements of absolute fact. And so what I want to do here up front as we begin this series is really to consider with you uh, how best do we approach the book of Proverbs? When we open up this book, what's the best way to read it? How do we apply it to our lives? Of course, the main idea or the main theme in the book of Proverbs is wisdom. We just heard that. How, How do we understand wisdom? How do we take wisdom and apply it to our lives? Now, even though the Proverbs express more probability than actual promises, what we can say about the book of Proverbs, because it is found in our Bible, is that it does express a biblical worldview. So if you take all the Proverbs, no matter how confusing they might be at first and and how some of them seem to contradict one another. If you take all of the Proverbs and look at them, they all express a biblical worldview. And of course, that's important, isn't it? That's important in our life because when we look around us, we see a whole lot of worldly wisdom. We see conventional wisdom. We see proverbial wisdom from the modern world that is trying to do the same thing, express a different worldview. We see these all the time. In fact, we we have things like ads or bumper stickers or political slogans. These are the short, memorable sayings that make up the book of Proverbs. We see that in the world around us. They they might be expressing an explicitly unbiblical worldview. Some of them might be trying to express maybe a more moralistic worldview that that doesn't sound bad at first, but if we really dig in and think about it more, still is unbiblical, detached from the gospel. You know, some examples of that are the coexist bumper sticker. I've mentioned that before. Maybe, maybe you've seen that. You've seen the bumper sticker that just says coexist with all the major world religion symbols on it. And what is that simple word, coexist, on a bumper sticker trying to communicate to us? Well, it's trying to express the worldview that all of the major religions of the world are equally valid and we should affirm all of them. Or or we might even think of uh, maybe a less heretical saying that we've inevitably all heard that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And at first, that sounds good, right? That sounds, you know, strong and, yeah, that's right. Your words, they don't mean anything to me. 
But what does that actually express but a stoic worldview? That's a worldview that says, I'm going to live life detached from any type of emotion. That doesn't really hold up to the Bible either because the Bible doesn't express a stoic worldview. And we could think of hundreds of other proverbs in the world like, just do it, right? My body, my choice. Make America great again. I saw this one in a coffee shop this week. Do more of what you love. That's a proverb. Same idea as listen to your heart. Those are proverbs that the world wants us to take in, memorize, and put to use in our lives. They are trying to do the very thing that the biblical proverbs are doing. They're trying to train us on how to live and behave. But the Bible's proverbs are all filtered through what Liz read there in verse 7. Big theme in the book of Proverbs, as I mentioned, is wisdom, and the uh, closely allied part of that is the fear of the Lord. You saw that in in verse 7, again, the fear of the Lord. In fact, the aim of the Proverbs is to produce in us the fear of the Lord, and for the fear of the Lord to truly see how God has called us to live unto Him. So we've titled the, the series in Proverbs, Straight Paths. And we get that from a few different places in the book of Proverbs, a lot of references to paths. Uh, Most prominently, maybe maybe the most uh, well-known reference to a path in the book of Proverbs comes out of chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So the Proverbs have a lot to say about paths. And what do we do on paths but walk? So we are on a journey in many ways with wisdom. That we we don't start with wisdom and set with wisdom. We are walking on a path as we learn wisdom. We are walking either in straight paths toward God or we are walking on crooked or wayward paths away from him. Those are the two paths that we find ourselves on toward God, on straight paths, away from him, on crooked or wayward paths. And it's not just God, but also his wisdom. It's part of his nature. It's uh, the desire to grow in godliness and wisdom. And I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. I need, I need wisdom all the time. In fact, I feel the longer that I live, it almost feels like I don't have wisdom and I need it even more. I need it for the first time. Even though I've been a believer for going on 25 years, I still need wisdom. Do you relate? Especially in the, in the world that we live in. We've referenced several times the world that seems to be more and more chaotic with every moment that passed. A, a world that does have all these other proverbs and ads and slogans competing for our attention and for our heart's desire. We need wisdom from above. We need desperately to acknowledge God and trust him with our whole hearts and know that he will lead us on these straight paths. 
So this summary, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs for several weeks. And there's many ways in which you could approach the book of Proverbs in order to teach or preach. Uh, What we thought would be best is to take a look at the different topics and themes that Proverbs speaks on. And we're going to be able to, each week, look at that through the lens of the fear of the Lord. What does it look like to live a wise life in the fear of the Lord? What does it look like when it comes to your money? When it comes to anger? When it comes to the words that you use? What about your marriage and your family? These are all things that Proverbs speaks a lot about. So next week, we're going to take a look at uh, what does a proverb say about women, wives, and mothers. And the following Sunday, Chris will look at men, fathers, and husbands. And then we'll continue through this series and look at these different topics and themes and see what God has to say about each of those to us. So today will be a, a, a bit of a different type of sermon because I don't really have any of those particular topics in mind more than anything today. I want to kind of do an overview or a, approach an overview of the book of Proverbs. Uh, my main goal this morning is to give us a better idea of how do we read this book What is it saying, especially here in the first chapter, which acts as basically an introduction and a summary of the whole book? And then the most important question that we'll hopefully get an answer to this morning is how do we apply the Proverbs to our life? How do we approach the Proverbs and then how do we apply it to our lives? How do we live in the fear of the Lord? So the first question I have is, how do we even approach this book? How do we understand Proverbs? Now, Proverbs is divided basically in two major sections. The first nine chapters of Proverbs is more of a treatise. It's more of a conversation. A lot of that conversation is between a father and his son. And and the, the topic is wisdom. It's a father instructing his son about wisdom, about how to get wisdom, about why wisdom is something to be attained, why it's precious. And then in chapter 10, we kind of turn the corner, and, and from chapters 10 to 31, Proverbs is more of what you probably typically think when you think of Proverbs. It's the quick, memorable, two-verse sayings. It's the quick, memorable uh, desires to get wisdom in a very compact way. And so this morning, I really want to consider, how do we read Proverbs when sometimes it's very confusing. I mentioned that it's not a promise, it's not a statement of absolute fact, and then how do we even approach a proverb? Because we find as we look at the book of Proverbs that some of them make more sense than others. Maybe you've, you've experienced that as you've read through Proverbs. So, some of them, uh, like, well, if you think of the, the famous saying, the early bird gets the worm. Everyone knows that. That's not a biblical proverb, but this is a biblical proverb. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Those two are saying the exact same thing, are they not? And that makes sense to both, uh, all of us. Both of them make sense. Both are good advice, generally, right? Don't be lazy, Don't sleep in until two in the afternoon and expect to be productive or expect to be able to have any money. 
Here's another one, Proverbs 18:24. A man of many a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We would all agree that that's generally good wisdom. Even a non-believer would would see the wisdom in uh, the difference between having a lot of acquaintances versus having a close friend. So even the unbelieving world can read a proverb and glean wisdom from it. Now, as we continue in the Proverbs and we get more acquainted with them, there are some Proverbs uh, that seem to be true sometimes, but, but maybe not all the time. And so we have to do some more work with them. Here's, here's a proverb that I think works sometimes, but not always. That's Proverbs 15.1. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Generally, that, that is true, is it not? But is it true always? Is it always true that if you give a soft answer to someone that they will not respond in anger? I think we all know that there's been people, maybe even yourself, who have given a soft answer and still got popped in the mouth. And, and we, when we see that not all the time will we find anger stirred up, but maybe fear. And so you can see this proverb is an example of one that, that works sometimes, but maybe not always. And then there are some Proverbs that seem too good to be true. Here's Proverbs 10.2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. And as believers, we would agree with that in principle, would we not? But does it play out that way in life? Do we find that happening in this world? Here's another one, Proverbs 14.19. The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gate of the righteous. Do we see that in this world? Do we see that in the world around us? Do we see evil bowing down before good today? In, in light of eternity, yes, every knee will bow to King Jesus. But we have to read these Proverbs with that eternity in mind. There are some Proverbs that don't make sense today, but do make sense in light of what's to come. Some Proverbs challenge our understanding of everything. Here's my favorite. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And the very next verse, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in your own eyes. Well, which is it? Is it don't answer a fool or is it answer a fool? It's saying two different things literally back to back. And so it depends on the context, right? This is a plea for more wisdom. It depends on the type of fool you're talking to and the situation that you find yourself in. Would it be if you answered him that he would be more foolish or if you answered him that he would actually get, get wisdom? Some Proverbs straight up destroy worldly wisdom. This would be the opposite of the Proverbs that seem to agree with, with uh, conventional wisdom uh, here's a proverb, uh, 16.8, Proverbs 16.8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Now, does our capitalistic, consumer-oriented, achievement-oriented culture believe that that is true? Does our culture really think that poverty with righteousness is valued over wealth? And I think if, if we're being intellectually honest, we would say no. That the world around us does not believe that. 
Jesus, even in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, preaches with Proverbs. And in, and in many ways, he performs the same exercise of going, you have heard it said, the world says, gain as much wealth as you can. Doesn't matter how you get it. Just get that wealth. Make a name for yourself. Jesus says, you may have heard that, but I say unto you, in fact, one, one that we could see is, 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 you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, cheek turn to him the other also. He's completely blowing up the, both the Roman culture of the day and the culture of the Pharisees. He's saying, this is what the world is saying. This is what the Pharisees are saying. But I say unto you, no, turn the other cheek. It's completely countercultural. So we see in the book of Proverbs that we will be confronted with wisdom like that. That is completely against the wisdom of the world. And sometimes completely against the wisdom of cultural Christianity. We have to understand that, that, that we will be confronted with a biblical worldview. Now, that's just, that's just dipping our toe in the water of the book of Proverbs. But that gives you an idea of the breadth of the different types of Proverbs that we will find when we read this book. Uh, so what I want to do next is really just look deeper at this passage that Liz read for us, the first seven chapters uh, first seven verses of chapter one. I, I mentioned that this is actually a really good summary for the entire book of Proverbs. I want to look more at, as we look at this passage, wisdom, fools, and the fear of the Lord. If we're going to uh, get buckets and decide what are the big buckets that Proverbs, uh, that all the Proverbs fit into, it would be those three. Wisdom, fools, and the fear of the Lord. And they're very much related to one another. You really, in Proverbs, can't have one without the other. And so we'll look at wisdom, fools, and the fear of the Lord. I know it's taken a long time to get here, but let me give you the main idea this morning. It's written on the handout if you wanted to take notes. But here's the, the main idea. Godly wisdom reveals our guilt gives us grace, and guides our life. Godly wisdom reveals our guilt, gives us grace, and guides our life. Now, let's look at the first chapter here and, and look at verse 2. This, this immediately, uh, I love when the Bible does this. If you want to know the purpose of this book, he tells you right off the bat in verse 2, to know wisdom. The purpose of Proverbs, to know wisdom and we see a whole lot of similar words in this passage. We see knowledge and insight and prudence and understanding and guidance and instruction. And wisdom embodies all of those things. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that biblical wisdom also has a moral direction. You could see that there where he talks about uh, to receive instruction in verse 3 in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Wisdom has a moral dimension. So wisdom is not purely knowledge. It's not purely information. 
It's, it's not a cognitive exercise purely. Wisdom is the key to a godly life, an appropriate moral behavior. Godly wisdom has a moral direction. So it's one thing uh, to know about all the technology that goes into artificial intelligence. I don't know, there was a really a popular article that was shared this week, maybe you read it, that uh, the end of AI is coming and the end of AI will mean the termination of the human race. That humans will be extinct as AI grows. And so that scares a lot of people. And so it's one thing to look at AI and go, here's how it works. This is what goes into it. These are the formulas. These are the algorithms that, that uh, go into creating AI. These are the functions of AI. That's, that is information. But it's wisdom that shows us how do those things play out in the life of our world. Wisdom will tell us how do we appropriately use AI in our society. So you see, there's a difference between simple information in my brain, even knowledge in my brain, without an application in my life that leads to wisdom, that leads to a moral behavior. Wisdom in Proverbs will play out in ordinary things. That's one of the the features of Proverbs is that it's not high and lofty and abstract. The Proverbs are taking us right down to street level. The Proverbs are taking us right into your home. These are things like, how do you use your words with one another? How do you parent? Wisdom, we're going to find, is active in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom, we will see later on, cries out in the street. Wisdom blesses the one who attains it. Wisdom is valuable and intimate. One thing that we see here in this passage is that wisdom is for everyone. Wisdom is for the simple that we read there in verse 4. Wisdom is for the youth, as we see there in verse 5. Wisdom is for the wise. That's interesting. Even the wise need wisdom. Why? Because we're always growing. Because we're always needing to grow in wisdom. We're always walking that path, needing to attain more wisdom. The wisdom in Proverbs moves you closer in and speaks from the inside of the experience of things. And what do I mean by that? When, we, when you read wisdom in Proverbs, you are not going to get, thus saith the Lord. You're not going to get a prophetic voice on high saying, do not do this. Sin not this way. Do that, do this. It doesn't speak like that. In fact, it speaks from the inside of the experience of things. One of the ways that I've thought about this this week is the pretty famous story in 2 Samuel after David sins with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan confronts David. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that Nathan, Nathan does not come to David and say, you've sinned by taking another man's wife and killing that man. He doesn't say that. Instead, what does he do? He tells a parable. He tells a proverb, if you will, about a rich man and a poor man. And from inside that experience of hearing that proverb, that story, David is convicted of his sin. So the proverbs speak in sound bites and an appeal to the feeling of an experience. And that's wisdom. And the wisdom in Proverbs is always held up in contrast to folly. 
And so wisdom is certainly a huge theme in the book of Proverbs, and right alongside it is fools. Fools. The wise versus the fool. Fools are explicitly mentioned in verse 7. We see that. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But in Proverbs, fools can show up looking in different ways. In fact, Proverbs will even use different words to describe fools at times. One of them is found in verse 4, the simple. Whenever you read about the simple in the book of Proverbs, that essentially is a fool. Now, the simple is more of a fool that's immature, maybe literally immature, maybe is a young person, maybe is just someone who's ignorant about how life works. But the simple need to be trained by wisdom. We're not meant to stay in our immaturity. Fools can also show up in the book of Proverbs as more combative, as maybe the slanderer. Proverbs 18.2 says, There is one who takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. That's a fool. You'll find that fool on Twitter or in the comments section of YouTube. Fools can also be out-and-out scoffers or abusive. So we can read about uh, fools in Proverbs that are fighting or degrading or malicious, who are intentionally power-hungry, who are wolves among sheep. These are all fools. You can see the spectrum that the Bible gives us as to what does a fool look like. Anything from someone who is a young, simple person over here to someone who is power-hungry and abusive over here. And Proverbs is going to show us over and over again, how do the wise respond to the fool? And we find and we see here in verse 7 that it's all done with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Now, when the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom, it it does not mean that uh, you start with the fear of the Lord and then somewhere you move on from it. What that means is that it's all the fear of the Lord. It's foundational to godly wisdom. And living a godly life, it is all about the fear of the Lord. And what is the fear of the Lord? How would we even define what the fear of the Lord is? Well, in not so many words, it's the desire for us to live in covenant with King Jesus and to recognize all that he has given us by grace. To live in the fear of the Lord is is not a a fear that brings terror or brings fear of punishment. This is a reverent fear. This is a fear that implies obedience. It's a fear of evil and foolishness. Proverbs will speak of the fear of the Lord prolonging life and bringing a strong confidence to your life. The fear of the Lord is Christ-centered. It's living a Christ-centered life. And we see here in verse 7 that fools despise it. Fools despise wisdom. Maybe we would uh, be, it would be helpful to even contrast the fear of the Lord with fear of man. Now, that's foolish. The fear of the man is foolish, but the fear of the Lord is wise. 
Maybe the contrast with the fear of the Lord is idolatry. Idolatry is foolishness. The fool runs to idolatry. It's the wise person that runs to the fear of the Lord. So then the question is, how does the word of God, specifically how does the book of Proverbs call us to live in the fear of the Lord. If that's the purpose of this book, if that's the reason that this book is in the Bible, if that's the reason that we're going to study it for eight or nine weeks this summer to live in the fear of the Lord, how do we do it? How do we apply Proverbs? Proverbs, in many ways, uh, and I'm thinking specifically of the, of the shorter Proverbs that you're going to find in chapters 10 through 31. What most of us are familiar with when we read Proverbs, I would, I would make the proposal that it's really like an iceberg in many ways. And, and an iceberg presents above the surface actually a very small part of what goes underneath the water. And so a proverb may, may present itself as actually something very simple, very quick, Something maybe easily understood, but under the surface, there's a breadth and depth to each proverb in the Bible. And I think the Lord is calling us to really meditate and slow down when we read the book of Proverbs. If I had to guess how you tend to approach the book of Proverbs, it's probably a a lot like how I approach the book of Proverbs, how I tend to read through it. I, if, if I'm on a Bible reading plan and I'm reading through uh, a chapter of Proverbs, I tend to just read them and I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And we read it like uh, almost like a, a life hack. You can almost read uh, Proverbs as like handy tips for godly living. We might just want to move quickly as we read Proverbs to this list or, or idea of right and wrong, like The Proverbs are just going to give me a quick guide to how I get through my day or my week or maybe my life. But if we do that, then we really have to consider that we are divorcing the Proverbs from the gospel. When we go so quickly to reading the Proverbs as a quick handy guide to living, we're actually short-circuiting the approach that I feel like God is calling us to do to see the Proverbs the lens of the gospel. And so what I would propose is a, is a different approach altogether. And I'm calling it the guilt grace guide approach. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning answering the question, how do we apply Proverbs to our life? And I think we can apply the Proverbs to our life through this lens of guilt grace guide. Now, obviously, I want to explain what I mean. Well, first, our guilt. And that's the first blank on your, your handout. I'm going to write a little bit more this morning. It's not just one word to fill in, but what do I mean? Our guilt means that we fall short of the law of each proverb. Our guilt is showing us that each principle or law of a proverb we fall short of. The Proverbs are generally law. Uh, you may not have thought about Proverbs that way, but they're, they're what we might call indirect law. So I just mentioned a minute ago that the Proverbs don't stand up on a mountain as a prophet and say, thus saith the Lord, do not do this, do that, do not do this. But they are law. 
they do have principles for how to live. They communicate what's right and what's wrong. They communicate what, what is according to godliness and what is according to foolishness. But the gospel-centered way to apply Proverbs to your life is first, you have to concede that you are guilty. You have to concede that you fall short of the law of a particular proverb. I'd love to look at one proverb in particular and consider what this looks like as we think about it. Proverbs 26:11 says this, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Pretty graphic. You know, we're talking about vomit. It's not anyone's favorite topic. But in the, in the scheme of things, this is maybe one of the least graphic things the Bible actually talks about. Uh, so we'll go with vomit this morning. Sorry. Dogs. Dogs back then, I know we think about dogs now, and maybe, maybe we think about our own pets or how they're so cute and cuddly. But in the ancient Near East, dogs were the farthest thing from cute and cuddly. They were, they were roamers and eaters of trash. They were outside. They were considered dirty. And so what is the law of this particular proverb? What is this proverb trying to communicate to us? Well, the law this, this proverb is communicating is what? Don't keep sinning over and over again. Don't be like a dog returning to its vomit. Don't be a fool returning to its folly. That's the law that it's communicating to us, is it not? Don't do that. Don't keep sinning. Now, the anti-gospel approach would be to say just that. Either if I were to stand up and tell you this psalm means stop sinning, and that was the end of the message. Or even if your own mind, as you're reading this proverb, if the first thing you read is, is and I, just, I need self-control, I need to stop sinning, so I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to use self-control. Stop going back to your vomit, dog. But we realize, in our guilt, that we tend still to be dog-like do we not? That we keep running back to sin. That we lack self-control. Believer, the Proverbs will confront our lingering foolishness. They will. We don't like it, but we still live at times as fools. We don't like to acknowledge that. We don't want to think about that, but that truly is the reality that we find ourselves in, is it not? That so often we are walking and behaving as fools. Now, we can live as fools in the worldly sense. We can live as fools and we are like the dog that returns to its vomit. We are like someone who returns over and over again to sexual sin. We are like someone who returns over and over again to overindulgence with money or food. But we can also be a fool in the legalistic sense. And what do I mean by that? We can be a legalistic fool that says, I am not like the other dogs. I'm a special dog. I'm a dog that doesn't return to its vomit. I don't know if you've heard about me, but I'm that dog. I don't go to vomit. That's the legal 
legalistic fool that is alive in all of us in some, to some degree or another. But we are still fools when we, when we try to apply a proverb with our own righteousness. When we read the Proverbs and out of our own righteousness see the law that it's trying to communicate and go, I'll do that. That's me. I'm a dog that doesn't return to its own vomit. But our own righteousness, as you know, is filthy. Our own righteousness, the Bible describes it as filthy rags. So this is not the way to approach the Proverbs. The wise man or the wise woman will examine the motivations of their heart. And when we acknowledge our motivations so often before the Lord, we realize our guilt. So our guilt is real. And when it comes to a proverb, we need to recognize that guilt. But here's the good news. And we've already mentioned it this morning as we prayed through the confession and assurance time. Our guilt is no longer condemnation in Christ. So we have guilt, but in Christ, it is no longer condemnation. And so that brings us to his grace. So number two, his grace means that Christ accomplishes the law of each proverb for us. Jesus Christ accomplishes every proverb on our behalf. The gospel is we can't, but he can. The gospel is we didn't but he did. Christ takes our filthy rags and gives us his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's incredible. And Paul even brings the cross and this good gospel into the realm of wisdom in 1 Corinthians. He says, the wisdom of the world. And what is the wisdom of the world? And there's a number of things that the world says is wise. The individual, the individualist, the self-help guru, the health and wealth preacher. God says all of that has been made foolish by the cross. The cross is folly to those who are perishing, but it is the wisdom of God and his power that save. And so when Proverbs Chapter 1, verse 2 says, to know wisdom, to know wisdom is not a topic, it's not a concept. To know wisdom is to know a person. Christ, our wisdom. Christ, the greater Solomon, is at hand. And so to know wisdom truly at the end of the day is to know Jesus Christ to treasure him, to attain him, to go after him, to attain more of him. God's grace reaches down to both the self-loather and the self-righteous. And he gives both of those people new hearts of faith to love him and obey him. That's the transformation. That's the gospel. And so then we can read a proverb and see it as a guide, but only then. And so we have our guilt, we acknowledge our guilt before God, but then we see that he has given us immense, beautiful grace in his good gospel. 
And now we can approach the Proverbs in that light as a guide. And so that is the final one, a spirit-led guide, meaning we have a new heart to follow the law of each proverb. Now we don't run to the proverb and go, I'll do that. I'm not a dog. I'm the dog that doesn't chase after my vomit. No, what we do is acknowledge, yes, I'm guilty. But God, you have saved me through the folly of the cross to the world, but that is wisdom of God that has saved me. And now I can read this proverb and follow it. Now I can read that proverb as a guide to godly living. We need to remember that we are united with Christ. We've been buried with him and now we have been raised to a new life. And in that new life, we can follow the principles of the Proverbs. The Proverbs now are cross-shaped. I hope you see that now. When you read the Proverbs, they're cross-shaped. Christ came down to live among all the dogs. Christ came down to live and rub shoulders with all the dogs that were wallowing in their vomit. In fact, he came so close to the dogs that he got all of their vomit on him. He came to preach against the lie that you are nothing but a dog. He came to preach against the lie that you will always be a dog because you came from a family of dogs. And what else would dogs eat but filth and vile things of this world? He came to counter the world's claim that says, embrace your dogness. That vomit is actually what you were made for. Be true to your dogness is what the world says. Unless you think you're a cat, then embrace catness. He came to rescue you from your ignorance that you enjoy being a dog. And that vomit isn't that bad. He came, and like a dog, you bit him when he said that he would take your vomit away. It's all you've ever known. You didn't like it. You didn't want him to take your vomit away. That's, that's all you've ever known. But then he died on the cross covered in your vomit. God actually made him your vomit. It's a wretched scene. It's wretched imagery. It's graphic, but that's what happened. He took on your dogness and your vomit on the cross, and in making and in doing so, made you a new creature. You are no longer a dog. You're a son or a daughter. You've been transformed and are no longer identifying as a dog. You are no longer identifying as a fool returning to your folly. Instead, you can walk, not on all fours like a dog, you can walk with your two legs as a son or a daughter on the straight path of wisdom. Folly and vomit have lost their allure. And when you sin... And when you return back into foolishness, now you can repent. Now you have the gift of repentance and his forgiveness washes over you again and again. And, and when you sin, the enemy is going to do his best to tell you that you're a dog and that you were never not a dog. But the spirit of God says, no, you're a son, you're a daughter. 
You've been set free. You don't have to go back to your vomit. You don't have to go back to your folly. The fear of the Lord is a life. As Chris said earlier, as Martin Luther said himself, the fear of the Lord is a life of repentance and faith. That's what we have in Christ. And so in that light, Proverbs is godly wisdom, is the fear of the Lord, and it becomes truly beautiful to the transformed heart. Now the Proverbs, because of what Christ has done and what we could never do, become a guide for us. And so as we set off onto this journey this summer, going through the book of Proverbs, may we never divorce it from the gospel. May we now read Proverbs in our own individual study, in our quiet times, in our devotional times, and realize that it's cross-shaped. It's a wonderful guide only because Jesus first accomplished it for us on our behalf. And now we can live full, flourishing lives in him with full gratitude. I'm excited about this. I hope that you are too. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would take your good, mighty, living, active word Maybe a book that we have come to over time and throughout our own lives, confused in some cases, perplexed at when Proverbs seem to be saying opposite things, when they are speaking in ways that seem to be unknowable riddles. May we approach your word, may, may we approach the book of Proverbs knowing that Jesus, you have accomplished it all. You are our wisdom. You are the one who chose not to be foolish, who was never foolish, who never walked in the way of the fool. And as the perfect one who came down to live our existence with us, you know how prone we are to foolishness, how prone we are to to see that uh, folly and run headlong into it. And I pray for those of us who you have ransomed, who you have transformed and changed us, that you have changed us from dogs into sons and daughters, that we would not listen to the lies of the enemy, that we would not think of ourselves as dogs having to return to its own vomit or fools returning to their own folly but that we are new creatures, that we are alive in you. And this book gives us a beautiful way to live. And we desperately need to live a wise life unto you, that the fear of the Lord would grow in our hearts. Would you do this work? And we love you, and it's in Christ that we pray. Amen.